The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. Our job is to understand that this is a point in time. It, it absolutely is. And if you're going to go ahead and, and write a story or talk about this with your friends as unprecedented, fine. But don't make them feel like it's going to last forever, because it's not. They do so in a day littered with questions. They're on their way to the quarterfinals if it happens on one of the wackiest days that you can possibly remember. But fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. The sports world has come to a screeching halt. The league has made a decision to end this year's Atlantic Coast Conference men's basketball tournament. Hop, let's stay safe. Let's stay safe, Jack. From WAER Sports, this is Talk Back. I'm Cooper Boardman. This week, we're going to explore the idea of uncertainty. At this moment, nothing is definite. Not the opening of this country, and definitely not the return of sports. So we'll talk with an MLB announcer, a news reporter in the midst of the crisis, and a producer who needs to find answers now. All three are dealing with their own forms of the unknown, as we all are. First, a reminder, subscribe to Talk Back wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at WAER Sports and on SoundCloud, just search WAER. So what does uncertainty mean? Nate Silver is the founder of 538. The statistics-based website ranges from politics to sports coverage. And in Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise, he lays out his framework to understanding uncertainty. It is not simply the risk of losing something. He says, quote, Uncertainty is risk that is hard to measure. You might have some vague awareness of the demons out there. You might even be acutely concerned about them. But you have no real idea how many of them there are or when they might strike. End quote. So you don't know when or how what's next will come. Steve Bunin, a 1996 Syracuse graduate, anchors at King 5 in Seattle. Even a two-time Emmy Award winner has needed to learn a lot. Steve's wife is a rheumatologist. That means every patient in her private practice has an autoimmune disorder. She understood the magnitude of the situation before everyone else. So Bunin did too. I think it's helped for me personally kind of shape my approach to treating this as a journalist and siding you know, much more with the scientists and the doctors who um, will dispel a myth about a certain medicine being um, you know, silver bullet, this is going to help everyone. Like, no, it's not. That's not how that medicine works. This medicine is for people who have A, B, and C disease. Um, or how important it is to wash your hands for 20 seconds, not just 10 or 30 rather than 20. Or something like that we're using. So Clorox wipes. Like, we... I'm one of the four or five news anchors still coming into the station. So my wife was, you know, uh, and, and my, one of my brothers is a doctor, and they said, look, you, you need to clock swipe it before you t- use all that, but you really need to clock swipe it after because it takes about 10 to 15 minutes for the chemistry to work so that when you clock swipe your kitchen table, it's not really clock swipe for another 10 or 15 minutes, right? That's something where uh, having her has made a big difference in terms of the day-to-day. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, there's, 
at one point, I would say a couple weeks after, maybe it was a week after the stay-at-home order here, uh, you know, I sent a, a letter to my boss saying, I, 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 we're literally telling viewers not to be within six feet of each other, and we're sitting within one foot of each other, right? And not that me and my co-anchor are high-fiving or whatnot, but um, just the fact that we're that close doesn't seem right. You said, one day, they had me anchoring from our sort of newsroom, which is on a different floor, and uh, my partner, she was anchoring from the studio, right? So that way, we were literally practicing social distancing instead of just saying it. I'm Steve Bunin with you. President Trump unleashing a torrent of tweets this morning, 12 of them in all, critical of individual governors and states, though not Washington State, for how they're all handling the coronavirus. But then by the next Monday, we were on this current schedule where we have just a handful of us coming in. Basically, we don't overlap each other. Uh, we're not sharing the same makeup room or, or, or whatnot. Uh, things have, have changed in a major way. But had it not been for my wife, just you know, being a doctor, I probably wouldn't have been as vocal about you know trying to tell our management company that I thought we needed to do a better job of practicing social distancing. It's a practice that's especially important to Steve Bunin because of the community where he works. Bunin grew up in the Seattle area, in a career that's taken him to SU, ESPN, Houston, and then home. The city and the sports community there is often on his mind. Here's WAER's Brandon Ross. How important is it to just stay a part of the community right around now, even though there's no community to be physically a part of? Yeah, it's difficult. And it, my, honestly, my heart bleeds most for high school seniors, not just the athletes, but by the way, anyone who's on the whatever debate team or anything that's non-athletic, but just any, any kid in general. I remember how I felt as a senior in high school, like the senioritis that kicks in in, in January or February or, or frankly even earlier than that. And it's your buddies and it's the people you've grown up with literally since pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, third, fifth, middle school, right? And you, find, and you get to experience all that together. And my heart really aches for those kids who don't have that, other than people who are directly affected because they've had deaths or, or sicknesses in their family and, and the people who are put out economically that are, are going to have trouble making ends meet. In terms of just the emotional pull, it's, it's not just the sports, but the sports was one of the first, you know, crystallizing um, moments where you think about kids who, don't, who aren't going to get to experience that. And then you think about high school seniors. That's really hard. And, and yet sports, I think, binds us in a way that not many other things do in cities and, in, and around the country and, and regions for that matter. Right? Like you can go through a top 10 Seahawks drafts of all time, like our local newspaper is doing, and a lot of people can connect to that. No, some people can't, but you can do top 10 actors that come out of Seattle, and then you have a lot of people connecting to that. So that's where pop culture, entertainment, sports, I think are things that really bind communities in a way that the news doesn't. We're all affected by the news, but how do you get through it? That is a question so many people are trying to answer. Pete Genesini is too. The 1994 SU alum is in charge of everything audio at ESPN. That's podcasts, live radio, and much, much more. Now, Genesini's programming and plans look markedly different. Here he is with WAER's Will Scott. So first of all, how have you and your family been doing in the midst of these crazy times? Are you working from home? How have you been navigating these past few weeks? Yeah, all the, all the important things are really good. Uh, uh, the laptop is set up here at the uh, at the kitchen table. Um, I've figured out Zoom, and, and I've got the cell phone to the side, and uh, get it, getting as much done as possible and, and finding new and inventive ways to do it. But so far, so good. And it's been a full month now without sports, which is crazy to think about. feels more like a full year. Uh, but, you know, March is usually one of, if not the busiest and best sports month of the entire year. And then... 
in the span of about 24 hours, we went from all those sports to no sports at all. And, and Pete, you were on campus and we were talking the weekend before everything went crazy. What was the reaction like inside of ESPN when all that went down? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can only speak to my own perspective, you know, working on our podcast group. And you mentioned, you know, banquet weekend when I was up in town. That was the first weekend in March when I was in Syracuse. And we all sort of referenced, hey, this was coming and it was going to impact some future plans and so on and so forth. But then we're like, OK, this all just got real really fast. And you saw two different things going on. You know, you you saw obviously a priority of taking care of people's health, so on and so forth. But you see how much sports means to people. I mean, everybody was trying to hang on to their last fingernail to trying to figure out a way to play college basketball. You know, down down to the Big East having a game play the first half before we realized, hey, hey, we're done here. I still don't think we all had our head wrapped around the rest of it that was coming after that. Um, but, but to me, it really just shows, rightly or wrongly, how important this is in the fabric of our lives and how hard it was to let it go for however long we need to let it go for. Sports have their place. That's true for Genesini, and it's also true for Jason Benetti. Jason graduated from Syracuse University in 2005. He's now a broadcaster with ESPN and the Chicago White Sox. Benetti was also diagnosed with cerebral palsy early on in life, and he's used this platform to be an advocate. Sometimes people look out of sheer panic, <laughs> like at a museum with wildly valuable antiquities, say pottery from Roman time. I'm pretty sure I know what this security guard's thinking. All right, code blue. He's kind of like bouncing back and forth, and he's talking to a friend. He's not even paying attention. He's going to bump into the huge face. He's totally into this conversation. He's waving his hands, getting closer, swerving, and... Dude, it's all right. You're just experiencing disbelievability. The condition of observing a person with disabilities do something completely typical for them, which you feel like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're doing this. I'm not going to break your vase. That sound is part of a video series he did with the Cerebral Palsy Foundation. Jason also has a law degree from Wake Forest. An article on the university website says his professors still think he'd make a fine attorney. My, my quarantine experience has been full of mirth, and uh, it started with, uh, uh, you know, a decent amount of anxiety because I was in two basketball arenas where there were COVID-19 positive tests with players, coaches, or both. I was around uh, the Brooklyn Nets, who ended up testing positive en masse that Sunday. The next day, that Monday... Uh, uh, I was doing the Horizon League semifinals. So an official from our game, who we believe was the official, came over to the monitor to talk to us about a replay review at some point during the game uh, was uh, somebody who tested positive as well. And at the end of seasons, uh, especially football, basketball overlap, and then we go right into basketball, and I'm doing baseball at the same time in, in a regular year, I usually have just like a cough that carries me like Dan Dockich and I, my basketball partner talk about it as end of season cough. And so I had end of season cough and I couldn't go in to see my doctor because you can't say, well, I think I have end of season cough, but can you check and see if it's COVID-19 cough? So I was just at home for 14 days with end of season cough that I thought could possibly uh, drift into COVID-19 cough. So I'd wake up in the middle of the night and like have slight chills and be like, okay, it's not end of season cough. 
And, uh, you know, I give it a funny label because it's better than uh, admitting that I was anxious about it. But, uh, you know, in the weeks after, it was just like, okay, center yourself, figure out what you can do for the world and uh, try to do it while staying home. Every person in their own way, no matter where you fall on that, is dealing with this literally in their own way. You know, we're all kind of sitting here wondering what is next. And obviously no one has that answer. But for you, how do you fight that kind of that feeling of uncertainty um, as we look forward? I think it's, it's twofold for me. Number one, like in law school, I learned very quickly uh, in one of the books they had us read as we were coming into law school about um, a guy who was falsely accused of a crime and thrown in jail. Like quite often in this country, people are falsely accused of things and they end up spending some time in prison and end up with something on their rap sheet that they just didn't do. And uh, a lot of people have to deal with that. Uh, there's another class of people who get cancer, and that's completely unfair. And I'm not, please don't think I'm comparing cancer to any infectious disease because it's not infectious, et cetera, et cetera. But there are people who get cancer, and they immediately have to adjust their lives to go and do treatment multiple times a week. And so, like, you have to adjust. Well, we all obviously have to adjust in some regard here. Worrying about what's gonna to happen tomorrow is still as fruitless as it was a month and a half ago. Having systems of making yourself better at something still is as much a part of our lives as it was a month ago. It's just harder to see the payoff. And you know, the other thing is like, for somebody who personally spent a bunch of time in hospitals the first nine years of my life, if I'm gonna start complaining about three months of my career down the drain because of an infectious disease, I'm completely disregarding 27 months that I didn't have. So people say like, oh, have perspective, and it becomes a bumper sticker, but like, our job is to understand that this is a point in time. It, it absolutely is, and if you're gonna go ahead and, and write a story or talk about this with your friends as unprecedented, fine, but don't make them feel like it's gonna last forever, because it's not. Every infectious disease has either become part of our population or burnt out before it's killed every one of us. This is no different. So I, I just think there's this odd middle ground where it's hard to be productive sometimes because you don't know what you're producing and what you're pointing at, but then again, this is gonna be over and we're gonna to have to go live and things might be a little different. And if you complain about things being different, then you're just like, you're being a, a suck on society. So much of Jason's point has to do with staying positive and pushing forward. It's a deeply personal experience because in this situation, you can only control what you can control. In that book, The Signal and the Noise, Nate Silver writes about modeling disease outbreaks sentiment about those forecasts is a similar one. Quote, the key is in remembering that a model is a tool to help us understand the complexities of the universe and never a substitute for the universe itself. This is why it is so important to develop a better understanding of ourselves and the way we distort and interpret the signals we receive if we want to make better predictions. End quote. Jason understands ourselves as well as anyone. That's been clear on Twitter, where he's had Sox fans sending him messages to read to loved ones. Some of those messages are heartbreaking, 
Some are just fantasy baseball trash talk. And some of them lie somewhere in between. The toughest part for me was thinking about uh, me or a family member or somebody else who I care about or somebody who I don't know having this and not getting to have family around them in the hospital. The idea that somebody could fade alone or pass away and not have a funeral for their family to remember them, like there, there's just so much loneliness in that. And to me, if you can somehow make people understand that there's still hope for humanity when when there's something traveling outside like there is and and so much hatred going around like i just think there's a level of humanity that we all forget about in the 24-hour news cycle and my hope was that i could have the ability to maybe make people feel like they had some human contact it has been very interesting because there's a depth that people are willing to share that i guess i didn't expect but it's been really gratifying and comforting to be able to every night just have a slight sort of fireside chat that I can lean on as something I know I'm doing every day for the world in a very small way. What are some of the ones when you look back, and obviously they're still going on, that, that jump out to you? Uh, one White Sox fan told me that every opening day he goes to his father's gravesite and drinks a couple beers and plays the Go Go White Sox song. Let's go, go, go White Sox. Chicago's proud of you. It's been a tradition I do in honor of him every year. Dad, thank you for the gift of baseball and specifically White Sox baseball. It's a piece of you I'll always carry with me and you'll be happy to know your grandkids, especially your namesake, David, loves the Sox as well. Miss you every day, but a little more during baseball season. Go, go, White Sox. I like the ones where people are talking smack about their fantasy baseball league. My friend at Eric Nolan got second place in our fantasy baseball league last year. If you could just let him know his dear friend Joe knows that's the best he can do, but was a great effort. I like the normalcy that comes from that. But I had a guy who wrote me and said, hey, in college, I wrote a poem about baseball and going to baseball games with my dad in the ballpark. And my dad's got COVID-19. And can you read this poem for my dad? And I did. The sun is beginning to hide and the hazy summer darkness is arriving. Our beat up Buick is ready to carry us to another game. As we race down the highway, the road's being swallowed underneath us. As time drags, we enter a new world. The buildings are no longer small. They are larger, dirtier, darker. I'm waving to the people in the train next to us, jumping out of my seat. He cautions me to keep still. The excitement is escalating. I can now see the light towers, and they're growing larger as though they're alive. The parking lot is full, but there's room for us. The park is almost white outside, but the greenest of greens is inside. The thick smell of hot dogs and beer float in the air. The crowd is difficult to split, so he takes my hand and guides me through as though he's been here before. We find our seats and are immersed in a sea of people. The deep organ tones fill the park, along with the noise of the crowd. Everyone is happy because the men are ready to play the kids' game. The pitch is thrown and the mitt pops. My dad turns to me smiles, and puts his arm around me. 
these are the greatest memories of all. His dad died like five days later. There's a level of humanity that sort of burns underneath our consumption of the 24-hour news cycle. And when we unlock that, it tends to cut a little deeper. And when I got that message about his father dying, I was pretty grief-stricken because, you know, you have this uplifting moment where you know he shared that for his dad and now dad's gone. And it's like, we can all say we'll have the memories and like write everything down and you know you'll have memories, but it doesn't, it doesn't bring somebody back. There is still humanity out there. And it, it sucks when the humanity that you put out there leads to somebody passing away anyway. The other part of that is finding joy in this point of time as much as you can, even if it's within your own walls. One it of the better other, be. Yeah. I ain't got nowhere to go. <laughs> so within that, and within those walls, I mean, one of the other things you're doing is movie scenes with announcers. How did that come to be? You know, I like watching performance and I like watching people do things on stage. I've always been a big fan of musicals and I like movies. And so I decided like, oh, this would be kind of fun to do things with friends and people who... Uh, you know, I think sportscasters are more interesting than we get credit for. Like we are on some level performers. We're way worse at it than your typical Bill Murray. But I have a lot of people I've run into who have skills uh, just in performance. And I kind of just thought, well, it'd be fun to just mess around a little bit. And so I called Len Casper, the voice of the Cubs. I was like, Len, you're a good you're a good read of like what's interesting. He's a musician. He's a polymath. He's, he's a he's a really intriguing guy. And I was like, would you do this and would you watch it? And he was like, absolutely and absolutely. I'll come up with a scene and I'll let you know. And he talked to his wife and he texted me a scene from Goodfellas and a scene from Groundhog Day. And we went and did Groundhog Day and like 50,000 people watched it. And I was like, all right, well, even if nobody watched it, I was going to keep doing it because I think it's funny. But, uh, you know, now a good chunk of my days is spent casting sportscasters in possible movie roles and pitching it to them. Hey, Phil! Phil! Phil Connors, I thought that was you. How you doing, buddy? Uh, thanks for watching. Don't tell me you don't remember me. I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance. Ned Ryerson. Needle nose Ned. Ned the head. Come on, buddy. Case Western High, Ned Ryerson. I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. There's a little Scorsese flair to me. People have said that <laughs> quite, quite never. And it's just, I mean, look, it's fun. I, I've always wanted to do improv. I kind of treat play-by-play -play as improv, and I would be a complete hypocrite if I didn't do something interesting to at least me over this uh, month span, because then, I, and then when I tell other people to spend their time wisely, I would be a liar. When you text Dan Dockich or Robbie Hubble or whoever it is that you want them to be a part of this, what do you say? It's easier now that we've done a couple. And like Dan Bernstein, sports talk host in Chicago, did an amazing Vizzini from Princess Bride. But it's so simple. All I have to do is divine from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies? Now a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool for what he was given. I am not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. I sent the Len Casper one to Adnan Verk, and Adnan said, 
I don't want to do it because I'm afraid I won't be as good as Lim. <laughs> and then Dan shows up and he's, he's so good as Vizzini that it's like people are a little afraid of doing it. But I've had, I've had five announcers over the past 10 days text me and ask me if they could do a certain scene. Uh, I have had a couple scenes that I've had to say no to. Uh, one sports talk host sent me the famous scene from when Harry met Sally. I'll have what she's having. Not feasible. A couple ESPN studio personalities, we we're gonna do a three person scene. They send me the earmuff scene from old school. Uh, there's some bad language there. So there have been a number of scenes ooh, that are a little risque for the family crowd on the tweet box, but it's good fun. It is. And so much of what Jason's done is about creating just a little bit of joy. For Pete Genesini, it's a similar goal, and his company has had to do it on an even wider platform. How does the worldwide leader in sports adjust to a world without them? Will Scott looks for the answer. And with no sports going on this la- these last few weeks, ESPN has had to get really creative, right? Oh, no. Not just us. I think everybody has. I mean, everybody's getting creative in whatever whatever their walk of life is. But the but the more direct answer is yes, right? And it's a very um, sort of case by case approach too. And and ideally, what is authentic to the core show? And what I mean by that is whether it's the the senior night extension that Scott Van Pelt did on Sports Center, which I thought was incredibly heartfelt and well done and we've gotten a lot of credit for this i've been asked repeatedly about it in interviews and i said we were trying to be a light because it felt like things were pretty dark out there but here's the truth about that we were just the mirror we were not the light you were all across the country your teams your stories you were the light because you are the light never stop shining and then you get into the sport by sport shows and and for me in our podcast portfolio you have Zach Lowe, you have Woj, you have Brian Windhorst and others. Okay, what does this mean for basketball? Are we giving people false hope about that somehow at the end of mid to the end of June, that somehow we could be playing NBA games, we could be playing professional sports in America? Are we doing a disservice to the seriousness of this? I think so. Yeah, we have a pro wrestling podcast. You can talk about pulling off WrestleMania the way they did. Um, you know, and even now in our Baseball Tonight podcast, which to Buster Olney and our producing team's credit, they've come up with someone different to talk to every day. Um, a little bit of news and notes off the top, but then it's, you know, so this week they're doing a Hall of Fame week. So Johnny Bench was on the podcast today, and they've got some other big names lined up. Last day of the 2011 season, the day of Evan Longoria's memorable home run. What sticks out for you about that day? Uh, what sticks out to me is how quickly the Yankees got up to that big lead. And the thought was... And I think baseball fans really like that, right? Storytelling. And you, and you see the, the social media traffic around vintage games being shown on TV. And can we put any more brackets on Twitter to vote on? You know, <laughs> the, the, the people, people, people just, whatever the closest thing to actual sports is right now, they'll take it. Um, you know, meanwhile, we all wait for the real thing. We're far more, you know, um, proficient than maybe we were a few weeks ago, and it's probably the case with a lot of people. And you were an AR guy during your time on campus. What was your favorite memory as a member of the student media, whether that was a road trip or a game you got to cover? 
Well, it was definitely the Media Cup. Um, so Dave Pash and I were classmates uh, in 94, and we had a, a, a good group of us and, and a really good group of guys right behind us, both from a broadcasting talent and from a basketball perspective. And at the time, they played the Media Cup, which, for those of you who don't know, is a bunch of the WAR sports students against the Daily Orange Sports Department, and we get to play the game on the Carrier Dome floor. And back then, we played it immediately before um, a real game. So what would happen is we would start playing, and then you know somewhere in the middle of the game they'd start letting people in. So the media and the broadcasters would be setting up at the broadcast table, and and um, you know fans would start would start walking in, and and it was a game my senior year where we were winning by by it was late in the amount. game, and some sophomore, God bless him, you know. <laughs> goes to the scores table and points to me telling he was saying he was coming in for me. Well, I'm a senior. I'm not coming out for anything. And I'm, and I'm winded. I'm sweaty. I'm bright red head to toe. Like I had no business still being in that game. And I'm lumbering down the floor and bless his heart. Bill Raftery setting up for the game broadcast that night. And he yells over to our bench and I should have stated I was wearing a Miami Heat Ronnie Cycli jersey. That's how long ago this was. And Raftery yells over to the bench, hey, guys, Cycli needs a breather. I get the ball uh, passed out to me at the corner uh, just beyond the arc where I have no business of being. I have zero range. And I and I hucked this god-awful bomb up from the corner. And God bless it, the thing fell. So I, so I did my whole run backwards with my hand in the air, stare down Bill Raftery, and took myself out of the game. Um, and it is the one athletic achievement I have ever had in my life. But it was in the exact place I would want to have it on the basketball court in the Carrier Dome. And I, and I sort of sadly and pathetically lumbered off the court, caught my breath. And, it, and I still have some photos from that, from that experience. Um, and, it, and it really was a joy. And, and when I get together with some of the guys from those days, or, or I'll see on Twitter that it's the anniversary of the Media Cup coming up again, and just uh, how fun and what a, what a great experience that is um, to, to, to bond with your teammates. And I say teammates both in the practical on the basketball court, but also it's the people you spend time with. I mean, that's your team. And those are the people that's going to be your team for, for many, many years after this. And uh, so an incredibly long-winded answer to a short question. Uh, playing hoop in the Carrier Dome was pretty cool. <laughs> There's nothing like a media cup in the Carrier Dome. And those are the kinds of memories we hold on to during a time like this. We also try to find a rhythm, something to fall into daily. Brandon Ross talks with Steve Bunin about that. How have you been weathering that feeling of, it feels like uncertainty almost? Because they, they sort of chose me as one of the four or five anchors to come in to the station, I've had this routine of, you know, i got to get up and shower and get dressed and come in and then once a week get groceries on the way back home. Um, and it's kept a sense of normalcy for me. I feel a little bit blessed that I haven't been as impacted in the, in the daily, but just the overall sense of anxiety and sadness whether it's something as silly as we need this distraction of sports or going to the theater or a concert or want to go to a restaurant. You know, you don't have that, and that to have that taken away is hard. And I, another thing, going back to Governor Inslee, that I think he's done that's been um, helpful is to acknowledge that and to not just say we got to make these moves because it's right, but say, to, to partner that with a sentiment of this this does hurt, and it's, it's only the because it's the least bad option that we're doing this. We need to 
continue doing this until we really have a better solution, which I assume is going to mean testing and tracing people um, and or a vaccine. The vaccine is just not going to come until a year or a year and a half. That's just the, the reality of what it takes to make vaccines work, right? So, so when I hear about, like, you know, baseball, and God, I'd love to have sports back too, but they talk about baseball having everybody in Phoenix and having it work. I just feel like that's – unless we have testing – and if you do, why are you using it on baseball players and not the rest of the world? Uh, until you have testing that you can do all the time, it just can't be can't be done, right? If somebody tears their knee and has to go to a hospital, that guy is now you can't he's, he's out of the loop. What about the bus driver who's driving the players from the hotels to the stadiums and back? The bus driver has to be quarantined, or he or she has to be tested every day or week. Uh, hotel employees who are cleaning the beds or bringing the guys food. Uh, the trainers, like, are they all quarantined? Are their families quarantined? If so, are they, are, there's just so many lists of questions, and I think it's good that people are trying to figure this out, but I think it's unrealistic that we're going to have baseball, that's going on a tangent, but we're going to have baseball uh, this year in any in any sort of order before we have the testing that the average citizen can get. Yeah, and even beyond baseball, you look at football and other sports that are starting to pick up. Obviously, soccer is big in Seattle. Just the anxiety of wanting that to happen, to have that distraction, not having any gauge as to when that could become a reality has to hurt. For sure. And women's basketball, the storm is huge here. Uh, the Sounders are big here. Um, obviously college football with the Huskies and, and Cougars and Washington state. And then the Seahawks is, is number one. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, uh, it's, it's just, I think here people have a decent grasp on, I'm not trying to be elitist. I just think because it hit us first time, the timeline is that, that we have a better understanding of how bad it, it can get because when it, was hitting this one nursing home in Kirkland, which is a suburb of Seattle. I mean, it started to to escalate, and you could see by the day it was two cases, six cases, eight cases, and these people are dying. And, and then it wasn't just the residents of the nursing home, as tragic as that is, where all the residents are older, and you could at least say, okay, well, it's an older population. No, it's those taking care of them, or the people coming to visit them. You know, that that's where you started to get this understanding, I think, of what has to happen to stop this from spreading. And that's where sports just takes a secondary seat. And so for me, like arguing on Twitter with people who, you know, so you have to have college football. Like, no, you don't, because you can see what happens or a church service, you know, in um, Chicago. We had a friend who wanted to go to a, 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 a synagogue service, I forget, some, a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something like that. And my wife said, you can't go. Turns out like 25 people there got coronavirus. And so he said he, he obeyed my wife's patient. He said, okay, I I'm glad you told me because I would have gone. I would have thought it would be fine. No, it's not fine. And then, by the way, then you can bring it back and you can be asymptomatic. And having people understand what asymptomatic means, like you could be walking around feeling great, but you need to act like you have it. And what would you do if you had the flu and were coughing all over the place? You wouldn't go to school. You wouldn't go to college. You certainly wouldn't go to a football game and buy a Coke and a hot dog and be cheering and high-fiving the dude next to you. So you have to act like you have it. And it sucks that we all have to pretend we have you know, a bad case of the flu for three months or two months or however long these stay-at-home orders are. But it has to come before the importance of college football, even if college football and athletics, college athletics collapse because of it. Yes, that would be horrible. It's better than a, a mass um, epidemic, you know, of levels where we're not talking about 20,000 deaths, but we're talking about millions of deaths. That, those are the realities you have, to, you have to think about when you consider we need Auburn versus Tennessee on November 7th. It's true. And yet, sports do have their place. They're an important escape, and thinking about them is definite in a time where nothing else is. 
Here's one last thing from The Signal and the Noise and Nate Silver. Quote, Our bias is to conclude that we're better at predictions than we really are. The first 12 years of the new millennium have been rough, with one unpredicted disaster after another. May we arise from the ashes of these beaten but not bowed, a little more modest about our forecasting abilities, and a little less likely to repeat our mistakes. End quote. We don't know what's next. Uncertainty can be humbling. In some parts of this pandemic, it has been. It comes back, though, to what we touched on earlier. You can only control what you can control. Every step, every decision you make every day is the only thing we can focus on. Thanks for joining us for our third episode. Also, a huge thank you to Steve Bunin, Pete Genesini, and Jason Benetti for their time. This was a WAER sports podcast produced by Carl Moglein, along with reporting from Brandon Ross and Will Scott. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll see you next week.